you, Jesus. My chains are gone, I've been set free. How many of you are thankful for God's amazing grace? Yes, amen. Yeah, let's get a good clap offering for God. He is a good, good father. He's a good, good father who has broken the chains off of us and set us free. Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, church. It's always wonderful to be with you, and I'm always um, so humbled and so honored to be up here to share the word of God. Um, And so I want to say good morning to you all. It's graduation season. Yep, busy season. Friday night, I was at a couple A's graduation. Yesterday, I was at St. Louis's graduation, and I'm sure that's been the same for all of you. Busy, busy week with graduations. Um, And, you know, um, I'm just so thankful for everything that's been going on. It's been a great weekend. And then here we are, Sunday morning, we're all together to have some church. And we got a great praise and worship team, big clap offering for them, yeah. And I also want to say this, you know, um, when you look at the, the stage behind me, we have some really cool props going on, right? First John. So I want to thank uh, Steve Luke and his team for making the stage look really cool. Thank you so much. Props to Steve for the props. So yes, it's graduation season. And so thousands upon thousands of students from high school and college have been released from that structured classroom setting into the next, whatever that next will be. And some high schoolers will continue their education at the next level, and others will join the college graduates into the workforce. And so for college graduates, the next expectation that we have of them is that when the graduation celebration is over, and hopefully that's sooner than later, that they would take that degree and make a living for themselves, right? You know, no more depending on mom and dad for their everyday basic needs, like free room and board, free food, free laundry service, lunch money, gas money, the list can go on. And so it's time to cut that umbilical cord, as they say, And so for these graduates, it's like, whoa, things just got real up in here. (laughs) And for parents, it's like, yup, welcome to the real world. But what does that mean? What is the real world? Because there's so much about this world that isn't real. We hear it all the time, right? We watch fake news. How do I know what news is real? It's so hard to know what to believe about anything that comes across the media these days. And then we say, fake it till you make it. Well, how do I know when I've made it? Because I feel like I've been faking it for so long. And then we see people wearing these fake knockoff items, right? So there's knockoff designer clothes, there's knockoff shoes, there's knockoff bags. And knockoff means counterfeit. The term knockoff describes products that imitate the physical appearance of other products, 
but they cannot legally carry the brand name or the logo of the trademark because they're not the real thing. They're not authentic. And by no means am I saying that it's bad to own those things, no. It's just that too often we let the things of the world define who we are. And it can give you a counterfeit sense of your identity. See, you're so much more, church, than the clothes that you wear, than the shoes that you wear, than the bag that you're carrying, or even the car that you drive. In this world that can be so superficial, you can often feel empty and lost. And so it's vital to know what's genuine, to know what and who are authentic. Authenticity, church, is more internal than it is external. See, God wants you and God wants me to be real and authentic from the inside out. And that only comes by having a real and authentic relationship with Christ. So today I ask, are you a knockoff Christian? Are you a product of this world? Do you just look like the real thing on the outside? And if God were to test your heart and your love for him and others, could he brand you as an authentic Christian? Hmm. Are you the real deal? It's getting real up in here. And so hold up, let me pray. Father God, we just bow our heads and our hearts before you, Lord. And Father, you're such a real God, Father God, and you show up in real time, Lord. And Heavenly Father, you get us through these real situations in our lives. And so I thank you, Heavenly Father, and give you glory for who you are. You're so worthy to be praised, Father. And Lord, we ask for forgiveness in the areas that we fall short, Father, time and time again, and yet you still love us. And so we thank you, Father God. We thank you for your mercy and your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord, for your love that knows no boundaries and for your word, Heavenly Father, that transforms us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So for the next 10 weeks, we will be studying from the book of John. And the book of First John, I should say. And the book of First John is written as a letter, or some might say sermon, testifying to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior. And First John is written by an eyewitness confirming that Jesus came to earth in the flesh, and we as believers have full access to the truth and to the power of who Jesus is. First John is about godly living and practical caring as evidence of those who genuinely know and love God. So since we'll be spending 10 weeks in First John, I believe it's important for me to set a contextual foundation so that the next nine weeks of sermon messages can come in and build upon it. So fair warning, you may feel like a little like you're back in class today. 
So the book of 1 John. Let's look at the who, what, when, where, and why of 1 John. And so not to insult your biblical or spiritual intelligence, but I never assume that everyone knows where to find the books of the Bible. So the book of 1 John is located in the New Testament. And I want to say this, it's absolutely okay to use the table of contents. Some people sit in church and they're kind of embarrassed to do that. And some have electronic devices, so it's faster. But use the table of contents. If you're old school like me and you like to touch the Bible, the fastest way to get to the book of 1 John is to go to the end of the New Testament and then to Revelation. That's the last book. And then go four books back. So when we get to 1 John, we ask, who is speaking or who is the author in 1 John? Well, the author doesn't directly identify himself, but we see that the language used in the writing style of 1 John, Revelation, four, four books back, 1 John, is identical to 2 John and 3 John and the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? So the language used in these books and the writing style is identical. And so it's thought that the author is the same person over these books. And so potentially, there are a couple of Johns that could have written these books. The first John is John, the son of Zebedee, and he's one of the 12 apostles. But it could also have been another John, who was one of Jesus's earliest followers, a disciple known as the elder. But whichever John it was, he is now in his old age, and he oversees a network of houses, of church houses. And it's much like our small groups. So there might be a small group here in Kapolei, there might be a small group happening in Eva Beach, there might be one in Makakilo in Waipahu, another one happening in Waianae. But that's what these house churches are like. It's all these house churches, like our small groups that are going on. And so this letter known as 1 John is speaking to these believers who are part of this group of house churches. So remember, the church is not this beautiful facility that we're sitting in, but the church is you and the church is me and wherever we as believers gather. So where are these church gathering at? The network of house churches are likely happening around the city of Ephesus. Back then, it was known as Asia Minor. Today, we know it as Turkey. So let me just give you some interesting facts about Turkey, or at least I think it's interesting because I love history. But 13 books, um, 13 books and letters in the New Testament were written to the residents of Turkey. That's nearly half of the New Testament. And that's including the Gospel of John and the book of Revelation. And many of the New Testament letters not written to the residents of Turkey were written from Turkey. And so I said all that to say this. Turkey has played a major role in the New Testament. If we think about when did this book get written, 1 John, we can look at this very simple timeline that's located below our map. 
Um, and this timeline is very simplified, and, and obviously so much more has happened along this timeline. But I want you to see, basically, that Jesus has already lived out his ministry here on earth that he died, that he was resurrected, and he has already ascended to heaven. And you see here that the Romans destroyed the temple of Jerusalem in 70 AD, but that's not our focus of today's message. And then John writes the Gospels, 85 to 95. What I want you to know is that First John is written all the way to the right of these events, somewhere in like 95 to 110 AD. That's our timeline. So what is happening well, what's happening during this time is that there's a crisis and there's a tragedy. And the people who are participating in these house churches are mostly made up of Jewish followers of Jesus. But a group of them have broken off and they've abandoned their faith. And they no longer believe that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. In fact, they no longer believe that Jesus is the Son of God. See, they were stuck and stubborn in their thought that the flesh is evil and only the spirit is good, which is why they had such a hard time and they could not believe that God would come to earth in the flesh, in the human body named Jesus. And get this, which is pretty tragic. Even though they denied that Jesus is the Messiah, even though they denied that Jesus is the Son of God, and even though that they had been living immoral lives, as John mentions, corruption and sexual immorality that's going on in this group as well, that even though they have been living a life devoid of practical love for others, they still claim to know and believe in God. And they also believe that they had a superior spiritual insight that made them better than the other groups. And they demonstrated this by deserting the fellowship. And it wasn't enough that they left the church, but they continued to reach back and cause hostility among the believers that had stayed faithful to the churches. So 1 John is written as sort of damage control for all that is going on. And John encourages those who are still believers and who are still gathering in the house churches to stay the course, to stay true to what they already believed. And so here's more of the tragedy. Let's put the beliefs and the actions of the defectors to the authenticity test measurement of God's truth. See, it's tragic when we live our life according to our own stubborn ways, even when our ways are out of alignment of what God's word says. So let's look at what God's word says in 1 John 1, 1 to 4. 1 to 4. It says this, and this is from the Amplified so that it opens it up for us to understand better. It says, I am writing about what existed from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the one who existed even before the beginning of, wor of the world, Christ. And the life and aspect of his being was manifested. 
and we have seen it as eyewitnesses, and testify and declare to you the life, the eternal life who was already existing with the Father and was actually made visible to us, his followers. What we have seen and heard we also proclaim to you, so that you too may have fellowship as partners with us, and indeed, our fellowship, which is a distinguishing mark of born-again believers, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things to you so that our joy in seeing you included may be completed by having you share in the joy of salvation. So according to God's word, here is why the defectors were wrong. See, the truth according to God's word in 1 John 1, 1 to 4, is this, that there is no difference between God and Jesus, that they exist as one in the Holy Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't just exist from the point that he was born here on earth. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. He has always existed. To deny Jesus is to deny God. The defectors cannot have one without the other. They cannot say that they believe and belong to God, but that they don't believe in Jesus. And earlier I said that the author of 1 John reads like the Gospel of John. Both books open up the same way. The Gospel, John 1.1 says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. First John speaks about God's Word manifested here on earth. He is eternal life. Jesus is the Word of life. See, Jesus was, is, and always will be. And I know this can get kind of heady, but follow me here. The author John says we, he and the other apostles, have seen eternal life because they physically saw, touched, and spoke directly with Jesus. John is confident about his experience with Jesus. He's confident that Jesus is the word of God manifested here on earth. He's confident that Jesus is eternal life. He knows without a doubt that Jesus is the real deal guaranteed. John wants his fellow believers to be confident of the same and not to be influenced or infected by the defectors who he calls deceivers. So John encourages his fellow believers to stay in fellowship with the church. It's what Christians do. John knows that Jesus is the joy of salvation, that he is eternal. And John's commitment to Jesus is impressive, right? I mean, he is an amazing follower of Jesus. So, some modern-day student of Christianity may say, yeah, well, John had an advantage. He lived in the days that Jesus walked this earth. He knew Jesus personally. But me, I was born like 20 centuries too late. See, church, that's wrong thinking. That's what I'll call defector thinking or defective thinking. See, it's not because John and the apostles were physically near to Jesus that made them what they were. 
It was that they were so spiritually near and connected to Jesus, that they committed themselves to Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that Jesus was real and exciting to John and his colleagues because they trusted him. Church, isn't it exciting when you can trust without a doubt that someone is who they say they are, that they are authentic, that they are the real thing? I want you to turn to your neighbor and ask them, hey, are you for reals? All right. So let me give you this illustration about a counterfeit Christian. A counterfeit Christian, and there are more than we'd really like to think about, a counterfeit Christian is something like a counterfeit $20 bill. So suppose you have this counterfeit $20 bill, but you think that it's a genuine $20 bill. And so you use it to pay for gas. And the gas station manager takes that $20 bill, $20 bill and he uses it to buy supplies for his station. And then the supplier takes the $20 bill and he uses it to, to pay for groceries. And then the grocer bundles up that $20 bill with a pile of other $20 bills and takes it to deposit into his bank account at his bank. But when he does that, the teller tells him, I'm sorry, sir, but this bill is counterfeit. See, that $20 bill, counterfeit, may have done a lot of good while it was in circulation. But when it arrived at the bank, it was exposed for what it really was, counterfeit. And so it was put out of circulation. The same goes for a counterfeit Christian. He may do a lot of good things in this life, but when he faces final judgment, he will be rejected. Matthew 7, 22 to 23 says this, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out demons? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work in equity. Iniquity. See, church, we serve a real God who sent a real Jesus to die on a real cross for our iniquities. And Jesus paid a torturous price for our sins. Now that's real love. He invites you and me into a real and authentic relationship with us. And as I close this out here, I'm just going to ask Matt to come up on stage. Jesus invites you and me into a real and authentic relationship with him. But the first step to becoming an authentic Christian is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you've never done that before, today is a great day to graduate to the next level. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose from the grave, and you accept him as your Lord and Savior, 
that you are born again and you have salvation destined for eternity. You know, you won't be perfect from here on out, but that's okay. Because if you were to ask my husband and ask my kids, they could tell you about the good, the bad, and the ugly of Yvonne the wife, Yvonne the mom. But I got to say this, I am a pretty cool grandma. <laughs> it's been a lifetime of learning and more challenging tests than I'd like to remember. But God is good. And he's provided this fellowship of other believers that have helped me through the toughest of times. And so I want to say this to you. If you're going through anything, God, Jesus, is the answer. And maybe you feel like a failure in so many areas of your life. But I want to say this to you. Just keep showing up to class with Jesus. He won't fail you. When you accept Christ as your Savior, his atonement on the cross covers all of your sins. It doesn't matter what you did before. It doesn't matter what you might do tomorrow. When you come back and repent to Christ, his blood covers it all and washes you clean. And so I want to offer the prayer of salvation that we would say it together and say it with our hearts. So if you would bow your heads, close your eyes, and repeat after me. Say, Father, I acknowledge that I am a sinner. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe in my heart. And I confess with my mouth that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for my victory over sin. And I accept you, Lord Jesus, into my heart as my Lord and Savior. And I commit to living my life for you. Amen. Whether you said that before and you're already a born-again Christian, good on you. It's never a bad thing to say it every day if you have to recommit your life to Jesus, just like we recommit our life to our marriage each and every day, right? For those of you who said that for the very first time, is there anyone who said that for the very first time? Can you just lift your hand? Amen. 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 That is so awesome because that's what it's all about, right? We don't want anyone left behind. We want everyone to know Jesus and to know that you will spend your eternity to Jesus. That it doesn't matter what you did yesterday and it doesn't matter what you do tomorrow. It doesn't matter where you were yesterday. It just matters where you're going to go. And because you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you can be assured that when your time here is done, that you will be with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is something to celebrate.
And I want to say congratulations. I also want to say this, for the hands that I saw go up that you prayed this for the very first time, please visit us at the table outside so that we can hook you up with other believers who can walk with you during the hard times. Because just because you accept Christ as your Savior doesn't mean that life is going to be a piece of cake. It's not. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He might even come harder after you because he doesn't want you to have that life everlasting with Jesus. And so get around people who know and love Jesus like John did, right? Who plow through, who will carry you through when you need to be carried. And I just want to say congratulations. God bless you. Let me pray. Father God, we give you glory, honor, and praise, Lord. Our hearts celebrate those who have given their lives to you for the very first time. And Father, I just ask that you would help us as a church of believers to steward them well, Lord. Father, surround them, Heavenly Father. Make them, Heavenly Father, to uh, be noticed by all of us, Father God, that we can encourage them, Lord. Father, I just pray that you would hook them up with a small group. Father God, that they would be strengthened in this walk in this life, Lord. And Father, we're just so blessed. We're so in awe of you, Father. We're so thankful for your amazing grace. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs>